I'm Matt Downing, and welcome to Diving Deep EDU. Curious conversations with all types of peeps. Encouraging innovation, we are diving deep. Certainly education is what we like to speak. Fervent with dedication, now it is time to teach. Hey everyone, and thanks for joining me on Diving Deep EDU. This podcast is based in conversations that are willing to go off on a rabbit trail or two in order to find those aha moments. Those times when someone is able to say something in a way that brings increased clarity. Now, I'm an educator, so much of our conversations will have that as the end goal. How can the things that we are talking about help us to dive deeper into educational practices? Thanks for tuning in. Our guest today is Judy Schachner. Judy is the number one New York Times bestselling author, illustrator of over 23 books for children, including Bits and Pieces, the Skippy John Jones series, my personal favorite, Yo Vikings, the Granny Man, and Willie and May. She has won many awards, including the first E.B. White Read Aloud Award. Judy, thank you so much for joining me. We both live in the Philadelphia region. The weather seems to be breaking towards spring. What are you excited about for spring? You know, I'm a winter person. Okay. Well, what are you sad about winter leaving? <laughs> we didn't get enough snow. Mm. I'm from New England originally, so okay. um, I am obsessed with uh, snow days because it takes me back to growing up you know, outside of Boston, mm. and um, you get to stay home from school. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I get the, it's an exciting feeling. Like, you never know what's going to happen. And hot chocolate and marshmallows and building snow forts. And mm. um, I'm a winter girl. But <laughs> I, so spring is lovely. I love spring, but I'm not, I don't look forward to summer. So how about that being negative? <laughs> You know, I can relate. I don't know if I'm as much of a winter person as you, but I'm definitely not a summer person. The heat uh, yeah. brings a little bit of anxiety to me. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah. Thinking back uh, to the winter days, whether it's this winter or previous winters, what are some favorite things you like to do during the winter time? I have to say that I absolutely love being in my studio when it's mm. snowing outside. Mm. I love working on a book or painting or writing yeah. when the snow is falling. And I, I have to say, I've taken a few, um, you know, little movies with my camera, hmm. just watching the snowfall because there's something that just quiets my, my mind. And um, that's my absolute favorite thing. And we had a little, you know, Ooh. we had more snow this winter, or a few more snow days than we usually get. Mm -hmm. So it was lovely. Yeah, speaking of your studio, mm -hmm. you're an author uh, and you're an illustrator. Yes. What does that process look like for you when you're creating a book? Do you start with illustrations? Do you start with the written words? Uh, what does that look like? It kind of looks like a parallel play. Hmm. Um, because I usually start with a 
what I call a character Bible. Okay. And I'm, I'm a very, my books are very character driven. Mm-hmm. So um, I start painting and collaging and um, I usually have a character in my head and sometimes a little kernel of an idea for a story, but I don't always know where the story is going to go. Even if I may know the characters very well, which includes my family or my daughters or my, my own pets. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have a journal and I just start ripping things out of magazines and newspapers and I paint and I, I fill a journal, which sometimes t- can take years, sometimes oh, wow. just, you know, a p- period of months. And by the time I've finished working in the journal, I don't do a whole lot of writing, honestly. And um, I don't always um, even quite know what the character is going to look like. But by the time I finish, I have like a beginning and a middle and an end to the story. I have lots of ideas and I can, when I sit down to actually write the first formal sentence, I can look back through my my character Bible and I can say, oh, maybe I want that raccoon to be in a bathtub or, Mm. oh, maybe I want Skippy to go to the circus or whatever it is. But it, it really informs my imagination without any pressure. So is your journal your character Bible, or is that something separate from your journal? My character Bibles are, for every book I have written and illustrated, um, I do what I call these Bibles. Okay. And I'm not really good at, at writing or drawing in a sketchbook or a journal like a lot of people do. Hmm. My, my character Bibles are specifically... Um, they specifically relate to the books I'm going to write. So for each book I have done, for most of them, I have one of these character Bibles. And okay. it's kind of it would be kind of interesting for you to look through them and, and see, um, like, oh, yeah, that page or that idea came right out of this um, hmm. particular Bible. But I have to say that for somebody who is not trained in writing, or ever thought that I would be a writer. In fact, I failed every grammatical course I ever <laughs> took in school. I wasn't a good speller. So I didn't come into this field thinking I'm going to be a writer. I only really wanted to be an illustrator hmm. until two editors on the same day uh, when I went up to New York with my portfolio uh, asked me if I wrote. And I lied. And I said, yes. <laughs> and they liked you know, a couple of sketches in my portfolio, which happened to be Willie and May at mm. character sketches. And they said, oh, you know, do you have a story to go with this? And I said, sure. <laughs> and I had to go home and overcome a great deal of stress and anxiety oh, wow. to come up with the story. But it happened to be my great aunt May and her little bird Willie, so mm. I just wrote what I knew. So I need to know a little bit more about this Bible. I'm having a hard time picturing it in my head. Is it, is it in a book? Is it divided by chapters? What does this look no. like? Uh, you would probably be surprised to see that there is no. It's truly freeform, intuitive uh, collaging. Oh, it's collaging. Yeah, okay. each page is kind of collage, and maybe one, maybe a page here and there is just like a full. Oh, I'm going to paint a, a scene, um, hmm. but it might not directly relate to what 
you know, I end up doing a book about. Mm. I could easily send you some pictures of my journals if you'd like to see them. Yeah, I would love that. And I can link them in the show notes um, for yes. people to people to see. That would be wonderful. Yeah, I'll send you some because um, I've actually taught these to adult classes um, and spoken about these to, you know, people who want to get into the children's book field and even people who are published too, because it's... Um, it it helped me, you know, when anyone faces, especially children, you face the blank page and you're yeah. told you have to write a story. Uh, just like, as I said to you earlier, when I get really nervous and that pressure's on, my mind goes mm. blank. I can't think of anything. Yeah. But this is such a pressure-free way of coming up with I- ideas. Yeah. Um, and there, as I say, there's no right, there's no wrong. You just sort of go, you know, free form. Uh, it, it's just a wonderful, I can't tell you how sort of creative and how it taps into the imagination, into vocabulary. Um, you can just, you know, hunt if, if, you, if you're doing a book about horses or you're doing a book about cats or you're doing a book about um uh, whatever it is, you can find words when you're looking in newspapers or magazines. It's just, you'll see when I, yeah. I can't explain it as well as I could, could if I showed you. Yeah, I'd love to, to link that. So it seems like you can create yourself out of that, but you can also be cutting things out, pasting them, putting things. Is that true? Yeah. Here, So I used to visit a school in... Um, I'm trying to think it was like uh, Coopertown Elementary School. And there was a lovely second grade teacher that year after year, I would visit her class and I would share my, my character Bibles with the kids. And I, they get all excited about seeing how ideas, you know, and stories can come from the the craziest things. And Mm. um, so she, would bring all of her old magazines in. She'd tell kids to bring magazines in and they, they pile them up in a corner and she'd do this thing called Magazine Tuesdays. And she would take a little time in the afternoon on Tuesday and they'd open up their journals and they'd cut things out of magazines. They'd um, maybe, you know, write something about the, the picture they cut out, they glue and paste and they do collages on every page and they draw and they'd sketch and they might write a sentence here or there. Cool. And so when it was time for them to do any kind of creative writing, they would go to their journals and um, it would fill in a lot of blank spaces mm. because mm. when you just illustrate for a writer, for instance, a writer doesn't always tell you what the characters look like. They don't always tell you where the characters live. They mm. don't always tell you what kind of, you know, dishes they may use or what kind of curtains are hanging there or what their pets look like. So to have a journal or a character Bible that's full of all sorts of ideas that aren't necessarily related to anything, that just fills your mind with all kinds of possibilities. Yeah, it sounds like this process helps you sort of get past any roadblocks that prevent your creativity from happening. Why do you think that is? I think when you have to create things out of nothing, it's, it, you know, writers and illustrators are kind of like magicians in a yeah. way, um, unless you're writing about 
even if you're writing a book, which I have written about my cats repeatedly, <laughs> um, I know them. And many, many of Skippy's stories come from actual things that Skippy would do. Like he used to love to bounce on our bed and he'd frequently go fly up in the air and then miss the bed or he'd get <laughs> on top of the, um, the railings on our second floor and be like a, a circus performer and do scary turns on the mm. railing and then, and then fall, you know, that Cirque <laughs> de Olay. Um, so many stories that aren't real come from real things. Mm. And, and, and I think when we're like, you, you know, especially in school and I remember so often, you know, like you have to write a story about this or, or you have to write a report on, I think I wrote a report on coal mining when I was in middle school. And how do you, where do you begin? What's your first sentence, you know? Mm. So it's research. Um, and for me, the research of imagination is by sort of culling. And I have, I love magazines. I love the old fashioned hold it in your hand magazines. And I love going through the newspapers on, you know, the New York times and looking for wonderful type or um, pictures of, of, of something that, that looks interesting or could possibly turn into a story. And I think if kids were like, um, you know, I always say that journals are kind of like, a piggy bank. And Emerson used to say this, the great old American philosopher, that mm. journals are like the savings bank of the mind. And every day mm. you should deposit something of um, inspiration. And mm. I read that years ago and I thought, you know, that's so amazing. So not only do I have, have character Bibles for each book I've done, but I do have just, you know, journals where I have collected things. So it's like depositing, it's like having a piggy bank of imagination. Mm. And every day you're like, oh, I, I saw, you know, I read something in the newspaper or I saw a picture here or there and and I glue it in there. And, and I can go through these journals years later and go, oh my gosh, that's mm. so exciting. I want to do a story about that or I want to paint that. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's a really helpful way uh, to look at it. And I, I don't think I've ever heard that quote. Um, that's really helpful, too. And I really like the way that you're explaining these things. It's a, To be honest, it's a new way for me to look at the writing process. And mm -hmm. I think it can be really liberating and maybe something that's sort of holding back people from experiencing, you know, the benefit of journaling. So maybe not necessarily having to write a whole page, but but putting oh. a picture, putting a word, putting yeah. something in there, right? Is that yeah. is that what you're getting at? You, you're very yeah. I, I it's funny. I, I write books in for a living, and yet I have a very hard time verbalizing or expressing my myself. And mm. yeah, that's. I think also because I didn't come from a background of of writing, hmm. um, that. I, it took me, when I wrote my first book, I was so afraid to hand it in because I really thought my editor would say, oh my God, this girl <laughs> is not a writer. But what I learned, you know, I, I, have, I have a dictionary. If I am hunting for words, I have my thesaurus. And... Um, 
What I learned, and I think kids are really good at this, the secret is if you can tell a good story, chances are you can write a good story. Hmm. And when you, you know, when you ask kids when they come back to school, and hopefully they'll be back in school soon, um, but especially when you, you come back in the fall after summer vacation and you might say, so what did you do this summer? And kids were like, oh, I did this. I went to an amusement park and I went on a roller coaster and, and they will describe it and it'll be exciting or, or, you know, they may visit their grandparents, whatever it is, kids. And if you listen to kids out in the playground, they make up stuff that is so ridiculously funny. <laughs> um, there was one story not that long ago, I was visiting the Wallingford Elementary School and these little girls were talking about this, uh, the boys and how, oh, they hated being outside in the mm. playground, the boys, because, you know, why? And they said, well, because they play this, this game called Bob and, and Bob was here and Bob, it, it had something to do with Bob. I wish I could remember it, but it was the most <laughs> ridiculous, ridiculous story, but they were so good at telling it. And I think that's what we have to pay attention to more. If if kids just realized, you tell great stories all the time, mm. you know? So don't be so afraid. Oh, gosh. And the other thing, too, is, and I thought this, too, when I first started writing, that you have the first sentence you put down has to be perfect. Mm. And it's not. Writing is all about making mistakes and all about rewriting. And I never really learned that when I went to school. Of course, that was when dinosaurs roamed the earth. But <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't learn that until I was 40 years old. Actually, in my, third, my 30s when I had my daughters, and I would read stories to them. Reading picture books as an adult taught me how to write. That's it in a nutshell. And I really think that picture books, we should never stop reading picture books ever. And that they should be used all the way through school, even college, to teach good writing. Because to tell a story in picture books means you have to distill the words down to a very, you know, very few words. Mm -hmm. That's not easy to do. When When you think, when I think of writing my first book, Willie and May, it was just a personal story about my great aunt May, yeah. and it was about me as a little girl. So, and then I drew pictures to go with it, you know. Yeah, you have some super engaging stories and characters. Is there a character or storyline that you have loved? Right, it's maybe even in a Bible that you have, and you think about it and you smile, but it has never made it to a book. Yeah. Yeah, tell it, us a little bit about that. It might be the next book um, because I've talked about this for a long time. And my daughter, Emma, has she has two uh, pit bulls, and she's a real advocate for pit bulls. And, um, and the all right, so this is where <laughs> it began. So years ago, a little girl came to visit, and I think it was Skippy or my current Chickapee, one of the kitties, and she was kind of poking him, and and they were the most gentle cats, never bit, never, you know, nothing to be afraid of with these kitties. But she was kind of like, 
just driving him crazy. Mm-hmm. And and I think it was Skippy. And Skippy slowly unhinged his jaws. <laughs> and he didn't do anything, but he looked like he might just kind of was going to give her a warning, like, stop poking me. Mm-hmm. And she pulled back and the little girl said, oh, your cat's a child biter. <laughs> oh, wow. A child biter. And I thought that just stuck in my head. I thought it was very funny. Um, I think I have been thinking about this a lot and I've talked it over with my editor. And I think I would like to do a book called The Child Biter. Oh, wow. And how very often animals, especially in my mind, this is a dog who gets blamed for biting a child. Hmm. But the dog never bit anyone. The child did. <laughs> And the child started the rumor, like he's a child biter. But really this, this, you know, and there are kids who are biters and they have to learn not to bite. Mm. So this dog gets blamed and, you know, is put in the, in the pound and he's got a, he's got a sign over his little cage. It says child biter and nobody (laughs) wants him. And it turns out that he doesn't have any teeth. So (laughs) I don't know. It's just something that is stuck in my head for a long time. And um, there could be a, you know, a little funny lesson learned in there, but I don't know. Have you already started illustrating these, these scenes out? I have started doing some drawings of, of a of a dog. My 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 daughter really wants me to write this book and base it on one of her her dogs. Okay. So um, I have done a few sketches, but I've mostly just kind of thought about it. I've talked about it yeah. to my editor, and um, it might who knows it might be my last book. I don't know how many more books I have in me. So how did the dog uh, lose its teeth? It's old. Okay. Just, just an old dog. Yeah. And, you know, little Gumby. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I'm most familiar with Skippy John Jones' book series, which I love. Um, and let me yeah. tell you a little bit about my first experience reading Skippy John Jones. So I'm reading about this mischievous cat mm-hmm. who thinks he's a dog. So I'm mm-hmm. getting a little bit confused. And he goes into his closet yeah. and transport to this different dimension. I actually thought it was a real place. Like he was going through his closet to this location. So that sort of lost me. I didn't realize that his closet was imaginary. And then I didn't realize the other characters in there were as ma- imaginary as well. Uh, it took me a couple well, of times. Well, the closet's to real. The closet's real, but, but the place nothing is that happens inside of it is. Yeah. See that I sort of didn't get that at first. Yeah. It's <laughs> but, like Narnia. <laughs> yes. Yes, yes. I I eventually picked that up. Um, And my son, who's younger, you know, he's six years old, he picked up on it immediately. Um, But I've grown to love these books and and we have a a blast reading them. We've read them, you know, numerous times, every book. And it seems like you like to push the limit a bit with silliness, with creativity, things like the wooly bully who's a bug in a cup with a rumbling tummy. (laughs) So... I'm wondering, how do you know how far to take it? I probably don't. Um, (laughs) You know, having spent so much time around kids and having Mm. had children myself and listening to their imaginary play, um, none of it makes, very often, none of it makes sense to adults when you're listening, you know, and they have their own set of rules Mm-hmm. They pretend to speak different languages. Mm-hmm. Um, they 
make up words, they make up worlds. Mm. And um, so for me, I love puns. There, are, I've had more people ask me about references, like um, I guess it's the Big Bones, where Darwin, who buries his bones, yeah. and Skippy wants to be a paleontologist. Mm-hmm. Um, and my daughter happens to be a paleontologist, Emma. So um, that that whole theme played into it. And when, you know, Darwin finally wakes up and realizes that Skippy has been collecting his bones for months and, <laughs> and storing them in his closet. And his mother finds out, you know, she says, you return all those bones to yeah. Darwin. And he he's like, says he's going to. But Darwin comes to the door and Skippy's standing on a whole pile of bones. <laughs> well, there's a little Bob Dylan reference. There's like, Knock, knock, knocking on Skippy's door. And I would, so there's, you know, there's a Bob Dylan reference in that. And then, oh, there were so many pop culture references for adults in the mm. book. So I have so many grown ups who are fans of them because they recognize I put things in there for them too, because mm. they have to spend night after night reading these stories. <laughs> Kids love silly. Yeah. And you just can't be too silly for mm. kids, you know. Mm. And I am a silly. There's so a huge part of me that is is very silly and <laughs> loves that. I love wordplay, and it all began with, you know, our cat Skippy was Siamese, had large ears, looked like a chihuahua, and mm. then my family we watched um, Antonio Banderas in the movie Zorro. And I re- I used I took something from you know I think in the movie he says something like I am a great sword fighter <laughs> and and for some reason his voice and his incredible accent stuck in my head so whenever you know how if you have a pet you always give your pet a voice you mm. always make them talk so for oh my god for I don't know for how long Skippy spoke. To me, like Antonio Banderas, mm. you know, he says, "Oh yeah, Mamalita, I love you." <laughs> um, so it, so whenever I visited schools, and back in the days when I would take my slide projector around, I would show pictures of Skippy, mm. and Skippy was the great sword fighter, and the kids loved it. Yeah. And this was just making up stuff, and they would make up stories, and especially the kids who were, you know, native Spanish speakers. They would offer their, you know, words and and um, nicknames and all sorts of things, and we had so much fun that finally it's like, oh, I've got to write this book, and it just, you know, who who knew that it would become so popular with kids? But um, I think it's because they love to pretend, they love to hear that voice, hmm. um, and. You know, and some people think that I am making fun of Spanish and I am making fun of Mexican culture, but it's it's quite the opposite. It's a total celebration of of, of sound, of language, of yeah. of when children. We all pretend, and when I was little, I lived above an Italian family. I lived next door to a Saudi Arabian family, across the street from a French Canadian family, and behind me, a German Jewish family. 
and there was a British woman family that lived on the other side. And so, and they were double decked houses and, you know, outside of Boston, we all crammed close together and I could hear all of these different accents. And as a little girl, I'd be drawing these stories and I would be speaking in all of these accents. Mm. And, um, I, I loved pretending being somebody else. And so that's kind of where all of this came from, a combination of Antonio Banderas. And I have to say that anyone that can make a nasal spray sound beautiful, which is <laughs> Nasonex. You know, I've had, I've had huge audiences repeat after me, Nasonex. <laughs> and they're like, Why? Because it's beautiful. Even Stephen Colbert had 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 Antonio Banderas on. He said, "Just say this word," <laughs> and, and he said, "Nasonex." <laughs> and you know, it's powerful. It makes you feel powerful to be able to speak in this, you know, powerful, beautiful way. It seems like you showed this slideshow of your cat Skippy mm-hmm. to students, and yes. that was sort of the groundwork for developing this character. Is is that correct, or you already developed this character and showed the slideshow along with your book? What was the process of that? Well, it started with you know, as an as an author illustrator visiting schools, you know, you would yeah. you would take pictures and show them your house or your pictures of you as a kid. And, you know, mm-hmm. you've, you've probably had authors come to your school yeah. and you kind of see the story and see the pictures that go along with it. And I always showed my animals and we used to have, we had an adopted pit bull that was all white and he had a circle around his eye. And he was famous for removing the eyeballs and the stuffing in the heads of over a hundred stuffed animals in my house. <laughs> and he sounded like Robert De Niro, who was like, you know, I told you, don't look at me because if you look <laughs> at me, I'm going to have to remove your eyes. And um, and kids would go insane. So I, I just make up these stories about my animals mm. because by the end of the day, when I le- leave the school, because if I asked kids, you know, do you have pets at home that do crazy things? And they'd go, nah, you know, no, no. And then when I finished telling my stories, every one of those kids, would their hands would shoot up. Well, my dog did this. Well, my cat does that. And it's like, see, you know, you all have stories. You all, your pets are characters. And so that's how it started. I used to talk about my pets and then I would talk about them in certain ways that kids related to. And then I'd go home and say, I think this should be a book. Mm. And it really is kind of as simple as that. It's just not being afraid to be foolish. Why do you think Skippy doesn't want to be a cat? All right, this is my theory. Skippy's the only boy in a family of girls. His mom and his three sisters. She's a single mom. And he doesn't look the same as his sisters. Mm -hmm. He has a much larger head. He has much bigger ears. (laughs) He's like an apple head Siamese. (laughs) And, um, And so he just, you know, it's like, I am not one of you. I am this. And he and if you notice, if you look carefully at his bedroom pictures all the time, his mother has put pictures of Siamese cats in his on his walls. Yeah. And even one, I think there's even one picture of a Siamese cat with with a necktie on. <laughs> <laughs> like this is what you are supposed to be. Hmm. 
Um, and he sees himself as being something more heroic. And he has calendars with chihuahuas. And he just thinks, that's what I am. My, you know, my ears are too big for my head. My head's too big for my body. I'm not a Siamese cat. I'm a chihuahua. And he <laughs> likes saying that. Yeah. I'm a chihuahua. And it makes him feel good about himself. Or and a even chihuahua. He likes to say Chihuahua. Or Chihuahua. His sisters. Oh, his sisters. His sisters cannot pronounce. They say, yeah, he, you know, he's a Chihuahua. He's a Chihuahua. He's a, he, they get it wrong every time, but they love him. They adore him. Mm. And they're very proud of him because the mother is always saying, you know, you have to act like a cat. Yeah. Um, and, you know, parents always want their kids to behave in a certain way. And Skippy is... He just believes right down to his paws that he is a Chihuahua. And he knows that Chihuahuas originally came from Mexico because mm -hmm. he's done his reading about them. And, and if you come from Mexico, then you probably speak Spanish. Mm -hmm. And he does not know how to speak Spanish. He pretends to. He does it phonetically. And he, he adds, oh, I get slammed all the time for, oh, she puts ito at the end of the words and she thinks she's teaching kids Spanish. And it's like, no, this is the equivalent of a four or five-year-old little kid who thinks that he's speaking a language yeah. and wants to speak it desperately. And he tries. Mm. And the chihuahuas are really just beanbag dogs. And at the time I wrote these, kids were collecting those little velvet beanbag dogs. And so he goes into his closet. He's got bean, beanbag doggies. He thinks they're a pack of chihuahuas that befriend him. And he becomes one of them. And he sees himself, well, they see him as kind of heroic. But basically, they're manipulating him to do what they want him to do <laughs> because he's bigger. Yeah, true. And he always yeah. goes in as like, I'm the brave one. But he, if you notice, in every single book, he scared. He scares himself, mm. and he has to find a way to escape the closet because he scares himself. Mm. And it's a, it's really a complicated little tale, I think, about child psychology and how yeah. this character makes him feel good. He's he's able to go into the closet and make himself this imaginary world mm. and. Um, I think it's all a good thing. And at the end, no matter what he does, his mother still loves him. Well, let's talk about the mom for a minute. How do you think his mom does with letting Skippy think that he's a dog? Because it's, sometimes I feel like his mom sort of, okay, embraces his little, you know, the little lovable names that she has for him. But then sometimes it seems like she gets so frustrated and doesn't want to give him space to be a chihuahua. What do you think about that? Her relationship with him wanting to be a chihuahua or, or seeing himself as that? I'm so glad you asked that question. Um, yeah, she is a typical mom that feels frustrated mm -hmm. and yet loves her child. Yeah. Um, and the re this is all right. another thing that's born out of reality. When my oldest daughter was little, she believed she was an American red fox for like the first eight years of her life. And so much so that people would give her, oh, they give her fox pelts. They give her, somebody gave her a real fox tail, which she pinned to her pants. Um, 
I had to make her a complete fox outfit one time for, for trick-or-treating. And, and, um, but she took this persona to school, not that she pretended to be, a, a, you know, literally while she was sitting there, she probably did, but everything she did in terms of all of her artwork, the teacher who was most um, got so frustrated with Emma was her art teacher. And she one time said to me, you know, your daughter is really creative, but I am sick and tired of her of doing everything as a fox. <laughs> and I have a photograph of Emma in art, in art class, and they were all creating little paper mache heads of themselves. Every kid had a human head except for Emma. Mm. Emma had a fox head. <laughs> and, and so she would go to bed at night, like her grandmother would give her – um, you know, old mink um, pelts that old ladies used to put, you know, around their shoulders. And mm -hmm. so Emma had a collection of fur things that she would carefully place on a bed and then she would get under the covers and she'd be covered in f dead fur, dead animals, basically. <laughs> and she had, she had a, a real taxidermy fox from Virginia um, that's all she wanted for her birthday one year. She she truly believed that she was this thing. And sometimes it would frustrate me. It's like, Emma, why don't you think outside of the fox box? Yeah. But she didn't want to. Hmm. And so, so um, and I loved her no matter what, but um, that's the way Junebug is. You know, she she worries about her son behaving properly, like a proper cat, not like a dog or a moose or a mm. goose or any. And, and I and I think in the beginning, it's like he had pretended to be all of those things until he settled on a chihuahua. That's that's where he felt most comfortable. But I think mm. that's she doesn't always. You know, she isn't the perfect mom. She doesn't always react like, "Oh, that's okay." She's she's human. <laughs> well, yeah. she's she's <laughs> she's um she gets frustrated by him, but she does realize she loves him so much. Yeah. What do What do you think a mom should do? Um, you know, Junebug, or you know, in your situation, when your child is expressing their creativity, what what should a parent do? There's a time and a place for everything. And I think you just constantly have to have those little conversations where, you know, you are welcome to believe that you are a fox or, or whatever it is that you, some kids love to be dinosaurs or, you know, lions or dogs or whatever. Um, there's a time and a place for everything. And as long as, and she wasn't, she, she just interpreted all of her artwork, whatever, whatever she, she, you know, get well cards. Everybody, she saw everybody as a fox. She didn't act out in the classroom. So she knew, she knew enough not to behave 100% as a fox. But as long as she got her work done and she was polite and um, a polite fox, she had good fox <laughs> manners, you know, what are you going to do? It's like, mm -hmm. that's their phases kids go through yeah. that, that are, are kind of wonderful. They are wonderful. Yeah. You just mentioned this, and this is something I've been struggling with with the okay. Skippy John series. It seemed like Skippy at the beginning uh, was flirting with other identities, uh, not just the Chihuahua, and then he zeroed in on that. What made him want to become a Chihuahua as opposed to a bird or, or these other characters? Because when he looked in the mirror, 
That's what he saw. My youngest daughter, Sarah, she went through a phase where she just wanted to be a cactus. But the thing that she she most identified with was was Superman. For some reason, she really wanted to be Superman. And somebody once said to her, she had she would wear a gold lame cape, yellow swimming goggles, <laughs> and she would fly. And as she, you know, with her arms out straight, and she'd always look behind her, which sometimes she'd run into walls or trees because she was watching her cape fly out behind her. But one time, I'll never forget this, a woman said to her, oh, you know, what superhero are you? What superhero are you? But she meant like, are you are you like Wonder Woman? Or yeah. And she was so angry, and she just said, "No, I am Superman." And so mm. when she looked in the mirror, that's what she saw. Mm. And I remember, you know, she wanted to be Superman for Halloween one year, and I bunched up newspapers and put them in her Superman pajamas to give her muscles, and she was just so crestfallen because he didn't have lumpy muscles <laughs> but if you you know when you when you think back to your own childhood matthew <laughs> um and you if you remember pretending to be something yeah you look in the mirror and that's what you see you believe 100 mm-hmm. percent in that imaginary persona and so that's when skippy looked in the mirror that's what he saw and it made him feel good about himself. Whatever gets you through. There's a ton of funny parts in the book. You know, every book I find myself either laughing out loud or then there's sort of these chuckling moments. Then there's sort of these moments where you just smile. All different sorts of humor and silliness and funniness. What was one of the funniest parts for you to write? Ooh, I love, di- I love dialogue. It turns out I love writing dialogue. Mm. And I love being all of the different characters. God, you know, there were so many moments that I would make myself chuckle. I would, I would laugh and say, <laughs> when I was writing these books, you know, I'm almost, I'll be 70 this summer. And I was, I was in my 50s, I think, when I started those books. And, you know, I'd be up till three o'clock in the morning trying to get them done. And, and I'd be making myself laugh. And I think, <laughs> you know, I'm getting paid to write about a Siamese cat who thinks he's a chihuahua. And I and in order for me to write these things, I act out I act out all the parts. So um I am all the different voices like, you know, when he goes to cir- the circus and yeah. cir- a ole. He um all the chihuahuas are doing like an Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, we will pump you I up. know. <laughs> and, he floats up in the air. Yeah, and, you know, and and they have to give him his vitamins and and, you know, I'm making myself, and the dog, and Darwin is like, which <laughs> I love making audiences say, and I just, I make myself laugh. And my, one of my favorite books was um, the last one I wrote, which was Snow What? Not Snow Who Do, Snow What? <laughs> um, and kids love to hear me read them because they, and I, I've had four-year-olds memorize those books mm-hmm. and they're not easy books to read they're not and and so they love to they love to play the parts and you know the the, the last <laughs> when when snow what is frozen inside of the cube and he has to, he that's the story is is the premise of that story is that his sisters want to read snow white 
he wants nothing to do with princesses mm. um, or wearing tights because all everybody that's you know re- rescues a princess has to wear tights. He he hates the whole idea. But what does he do? He ends up playing with a pair of tights, puts them on top of his head. You know, he goes into his closet, and oh, and he takes ice cubes into his room, and mm-hmm. um, those things all figure into his the drama, and he ends up acting out his the story of Snow White. I had a lot of a lot of fun writing that book, and mm-hmm. just the end when the little you know poquito Tito says, you know, just kiss the cube, dude. <laughs> and he puckers up and he kisses an ice cube. And then the next scene, you see him walking by his sister's bedroom with the pair of tights on, little, you know, his little feet, the, the end of the tights are, are hanging off his little paws. And he's got an ice cube stuck to his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, he was in his closet kissing an ice cube, rescuing the princess who was frozen for eternity inside of, of a block of ice. You know, so what, what in my mind, what made me go there? I have no idea, but the journey is always fun. Yeah. Let's walk into a school building real quick. Um, so we're in a building, you've been in plenty of school buildings, uh, you know, reading your books and and interacting with students. What do you think helps students enjoy books like yours, whether it be your book or a book that's similar to yours? What helps students enjoy those sorts of books? I do think kids love funny Hmm. and they love characters that they can return to. They love characters that they can think about when they go to bed at night. Very often, kids like to pretend they are Skippy. And, you know, Skippy kind of is a a character with um, a little ADD like Mm -hmm. me. So whenever, you know, I didn't realize I had ADD until I was in my mid fifties and I went and I visited a school and one little, you know, it was in the afternoon and the whole assembly and parents came and everything. And the first question out of a little boy was, you know, Mrs. Schackener, do you have ADHD? (laughs) I said, (laughs) why do you ask me, sir? And he said, because you're just like me, you're crazy. And he, he, he identified with me and I, and whenever I go to schools, I, I, so it was like the third time in a month that somebody asked me if I had ADD. And <laughs> I went to a doctor and I got myself tested and I was off the charts, mm. which answered a multitude of questions and frustrations I had had about myself my entire life. So from that moment on, I was a card-carrying member of the ADD Society. Mm. And I would go into schools and tell kids, you know, I wish I had known this because it just means that you have so many ideas in your head that it's hard to sit still with, you know, with all of those things going through your mind. Yeah. But kids identified with Skippy. They they loved the, they loved the idea that, that Mama Junebug Jones had so many nicknames mm-hmm. and i always say your parents have a nickname for you and they always tell me they loved um kids who never spoke spanish loved uh the you know if you read all of the eight books there's quite a large spanish vocabulary in you know in terms of vocabulary words mm-hmm. so they loved learning um, new Spanish words, and I've had more parents over the years thank me for getting their children interested in learning Spanish. 
for kids who didn't speak English, they had so much fun correcting the way their teachers pronounce words, or they had so much fun inferring, like on both both ends, like Spanish-speaking kids inferred the meaning of the English meanings, and English-speaking kids could understand what the Spanish words were, even though I never exactly said it, it was always inferred. So they had to do a lot of figuring out detective work. Mm. So so there's that both sides of the coin. But ultimately, kids loved pretending to be the different characters. And so many schools I visited to visited over the years made up their own plays. Oh, wow. And kids wrote their own dialogue. Or they, be, or they read the different parts. They acted out all the different parts of the characters. So um, I think there is a whole lot to love in those books, and mm. and the fact that that you they're not they don't talk down to kids. And as I said, they're not the easiest books even for adults to read. I've had so many adults say, "I can't read these books," mm. and yet kids feel really proud when they master them. Oh yeah, I think greatest um, gifts I've had were parents and teachers who have told me that these books have gotten kids to read. Mm. And that's just like, thank you. That's like <laughs> the best thing you can say to me, you know? Yeah. What about getting students to write? What about getting students to be the creators, uh, them creating their own stories? Have you seen anything or do you have any advice or guidance or thoughts on what could be helpful in that process? Well, I think reading definitely makes us better writers. Yeah. The more you read, the better writer you're going to be. I think it's important to get over our fears. Mm. And I think I came up through a school system that mistakes were not good. You know, I just remember all the red marks on my pages and I really did not. I, I, my mom was very sick for most of my life and, and died when I was 15 and um, and we didn't have a lot of books. I don't remember being read to a lot because my mom was so ill and my dad worked so hard just to put food on the table. And um, I struggled in school. I needed glasses and I never had them. So I can relate to children being afraid, you know, at a certain point, And I kind of remember always being afraid to speak up or express myself, but not so much when I drew pictures. Kids always start out loving to draw. They love making up stuff, but by a certain age, they they start becoming afraid to express themselves, and they start mm-hmm. becoming aware that some kids draw better than they do. And, and even though, you know, in, in picture books, and, and it's not even about being a great artist. It's about having a unique style. Hmm. of drawing you know um i think if we can just work on getting kids to not be afraid to express themselves because even as a grown-up author handing in my first drafts for for years and years even probably now still to a degree to have like an editor sort of gently never make fun of me for making so many mistakes or even though in her mind it's like, ah, oh, this is terrible, but she would never say it. She would just so gently take me through like, you know, maybe she would ask me the right questions. Mm-hmm. Like how, you know, how can we make this character um, 
more personal or you know what I mean? It's like leading you through it without making you feel bad. And I think so often, sometimes we do that to our own kids and, and even in schools, it's just making them not afraid. And, Mm. and one of the ways I got over that was to, to do these character Bibles and to sort of talk my way through things with my editor before I even sat down to write them. So there are so many steps, I think, before just handing a kid a piece of paper and um, say, write something. I want to pause this podcast for a moment to let you know about another great podcast. Hey everyone, my name is Mike Dunn, and I'm one of the co-hosts of Rethinking EDU. Our podcast is a roundtable discussion about education possibility. We talk with professionals from around the country who are doing groundbreaking work reimagining and remaking schools. Come check us out at rethinkingedu.co or wherever you get your podcasts. Now let's get back to the show. Judy, this has been such a pleasure talking with you today. As we wind things down, Who do you want to give a shout out to? I'd love to give a shout out to all the wonderful teachers and librarians out there that Mm. I miss and I've missed seeing. I'd love to give a shout out to my daughter, Sarah Schachner, who lives in L.A. and is a composer. And, um, And I'd love to give a shout out to my other daughter, Emma, who lives in New Orleans and uh, is a scientist. And I, I miss them terribly. Time for the final word. What would you like to say to close out this podcast? Reading is the most important thing you can do. It teaches you everything you need to know about writing and about life. Judy, what a fun and insightful conversation. Thank you so much for joining me on Diving Deep EDU. I appreciate your time sharing your experiences and helping us dive deep. To our listeners, thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Diving Deep EDU. If you like this episode, subscribe, share it out, post a review on Apple Podcasts. All of those things will help get this podcast out to more people. Until next time. Wow, it's time to reflect. That's astounding. You've been checking out the podcast from Matthew Downing. Hope you like diving deep like a scuba diver. And the show provoked hope. That's our true desire. 